Welcome to the GeoMob Podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome back, everyone. We're here for episode three of the GeoMob Podcast. Once again, I'm talking with my good friend, Stephen Feldman. Um, Stephen, what's new with Mappery? Oh, hi, Ed. I hope you're well. So, Mapri, we've been going now for 18 months. It's amazing. We started when I was on a safari in Tanzania with Ken Field, and we're out in the middle of the wilderness, and we see this great big map on a piece of stone showing the outline of a park that we were about to go into. And it made us think about maps in the wild. And whilst we're on safari, we saw a few maps. And then one of the guides told us the elephant story. Do you know the elephant story? No, share the elephant story with us. How do you tell the difference between an Indian elephant and an African elephant? Uh, I believe it's the ears, isn't it? It is the ears. But actually, if you look at the right ear of each animal... What you see is the outline of the continent of Africa on an African elephant and the outline of the Indian landmass on an Indian elephant. So you've got these two strains of elephant and their ears represent the continents that they live on, which is pretty amazing. And Ed, that... and you can imagine Ken and I really riffed on that. And so that's where the elephant logo for Mapuri came from. I did not know that. I did not. I, I will no. check that out more closely. It's a real gem, Matt. Uh, you go and look at those elephants, and you'll see. Okay. So, so wait. One clarification. What what exactly is a map in the wild? What 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 does okay. it take to qualify as a map in the wild? So, a map in the wild is definitely not a map on a computer or a mobile phone. It's not a printed map in the conventional sense stuck in a frame on a wall. It's a map that's used as decoration. It's a map that's painted on the floor. It's in a quirky location. And usually what makes one of the maps in the wild that we publish is that there's something humorous or funny or artistic about the map. So let me give you two examples. In the last week or so, we published a beer map of the world. There's a bar in the Hague, Mm -hmm. which has got a display on the wall made out of beer bottles. And when you look at this display on the wall, you can see the North America, South America, Asia, India, the whole of the world is constructed out of beer bottles, about 150 beer and bottles. The, the, gr- the, the bottles are in the correct country, the correct location for, for where they're I produced? Believe, I believe so. I'm not certain. I'm going to have to go to the bar and check it out. <laughs> obviously obviously but, some field work required. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, as somebody said... What could be better? Loads of maps and beer. So the second example I'll give you is a piece of art, and it's a dress, a full-length ball gown on a model, a mannequin, and it's completely made up out of sheets of paper maps. Mm. Um, It's a spectacular display, you know, and so maps in the wild are all these sorts of wacky ideas, furniture, Go and look on the site. You know, we're now running at about 500 users a month. 
we've published. And, and, and so wait, how does it work? I'm I'm out and about, and I spot a map in the wild, and what? I just snap a picture of it and I email it to you. You snap a picture, and you either email it to me at maps at mapry dot org. We'll put that link at the end of the podcast. Or if you're on your mobile phone, you can just send it to us via Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Maps in the Wild. Just send us the, the image. Tell us where you spotted it. Tell us why you thought it was funny or interesting. And you'll see it appear on the site in a couple of months' time. So what's right. happening with you, Ed, along? On your side of the world with Open Cage. Well, we're, uh, you know, it's, it's deep into January here, which is uh, the holiday break is well behind us. We've been rolling out some new features. This week we're launching so our service and API. And one of the key features that we're rolling out is that customers will be able to restrict access to the API based on IP address and things like that. So so that's that's a new feature that's coming. We've been getting that out. The other big thing is next week I'm off to, I'll be back in London for a big conference called Move 2020, which is all about the future of mobility. So very, very dynamic space, lots happening around car sharing, vehicle sharing, electric scooters, you know, bike hire, all these different things that are moving around. And so that's actually one of our most popular use cases is when your things are moving, then you have a GPS device that records where they are and at some point you need to geocode that so that you know know where they are so did have one sort of so lot of opportunities yes well hopefully we'll see we'll see it, it's a very dynamic space where lots of things are happening but oh my god i've been i've been getting ready for the conference by trying to line up some meetings and there are software that you use around the conference like the they make you log into this kind of <laughs> portal and it's just so painful and so cumbersome so there's a real juxtaposition between the the dynamicness of the industry and the the painfulness of their software but you might call the app move 1920 yeah I'm not sure they've made it that far but anyway i'm looking forward to being back in london and uh seeing who i can meet there and other than that we had one kind I'm of painful sorry i'm gonna be away next week well, we had one painful experience this week, and that was, you know, we get an alert whenever a customer is signing up. They've signed up, and then when they go through the payment process, we get an alert from Stripe, our payment processor, and just heartbreaking. We saw a fairly big brand that that we've been in communication with. We saw them, you know, trying to go through the payment process, and the payment keeps failing, and Stripe just kind of rejects the charge and uh, with a very vague error message. So very heartbreaking when you see someone trying to give you money and you, they can't give you money. So, so there's still some ways to go, you know, some ups and downs, but that's the nature of any startup. Yeah. So, well, let's um, hope that you can recover that lost customer. Well, um, we'll see. They weren't a lost customer because they hadn't become a customer yet, but maybe you can reel them in despite the difficulty with the credit card system. Anyway, let's dive into today's topic. Today, we wanted to yep. chat a bit about Phosphor-G um, because you've been you've been an organizer yep. of some of the events and been very active in the community over the last couple of years. So tell us, what is Phosphor-G and what, what has been your involvement and give us an update. Okay. So Phosphor-G stands for Free and Open Source Software for Geo. It's the brand for all of the conferences of the OSGO Foundation, but in particular for their annual conference. It's also, for me and for lots of other people, it's like a, a busman's holiday. And I don't know whether that 
colloquialism works with all of our audience. A busman's holiday is like a working holiday, you know, where you choose to take your day job on holiday with you. Imagine a week of GeoMob with a load of your buddies all focusing on open source geo, living together virtually for a week, talking it, doing it, partying in the evenings. It's a great experience. Who typically comes? It's it's individuals who are like open source contributors or it's it's people coming for their work for you know their company or is it, I mean, is this, is this well, more like a professional event or it's a, a fun event or both or how does it break down? Okay, I would say it's a professional event and a fun event. I mean, the open source community is made up of both individual contributors and corporate contributors. You know, very, you know, that's OSGO is no different to the rest of the open source world. You know, it's a little bit of a myth, I think, that code is contributed by lots of individual volunteers. It's not like the crowdsourcing of OpenStreetMap, for example. Most of open source code is contributed by people who are paid to contribute code. So there's a lot of professional attendees there and consultants who work with open source code and advise businesses on deploying it will be at the event. But you also get individuals like me, you know, am I there as a business person or am I there as, as just an individual? You know, it's difficult to say, you know, I've earned my living in the open source world for the last decade. So I sort of see it as a as part of my work, but I also see it as part of my my leisure. And I think a lot of the people who are attending, whether they're companies or individuals, will see it as crossing both the work domain and the social domain. And give us an idea of the scale, like how, how big is this event? The annual global conference, which is the one that we're mainly talking about, is now running at about 1,200 people. Wow. So it's pretty big. It's pretty damn big. You know, when I hosted Phosphagy in Nottingham in 2013, we had 850 people. We're now topping 1,200. I think we usually would expect the conference cycle over a three-year cycle, North America, what we call other regions, which is, uh, sorry, North America, Europe, and other regions. So last year it was in Romania. This year it's in Calgary in Canada. And next year in 2021, it's going to be in Buenos Aires. And we'd normally expect the North American and European events to be larger than the third event. The third event is more about outreach and trying to spread the use of open source geo software to other parts of the world. But over the last couple of years, we've seen, you know, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, which is what got me to go on safari with Ken, that conference had over 1,100 people attending. Wow, well um, done. So, you know, well these done. are big events. But there are also regional events, right? I mean, I know there's a yeah. FOSS for GUK or um, I know in Germany and there's, there's FOSS... what they call FOSCIS, uh, um, which will be yeah, that's in a correct. Yeah. So there are also regional events. And this year, if you're in Europe, there's FOSS4G Europe in July in Latvia, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I've never been to the Baltics, so this is going to be great fun. You see how you combine your sort of interest in travel with a work-related theme. And there will, you know, there's a Phosphagy North America, which is a 
America-only event. Well, it's not restricted, but it's targeted at an American audience. And there'll probably be, uh, oh, yes, there's a phosphagy in Oceania and Australia, you know, that whole region down there. And, of course, then there are local events, which are even smaller. So the, Europe, the regional events might be three to 500 people. And then there'll be the national events, you know, like, and they could be anything from... 100 people to 500 people. You know, okay. This. And what are, I mean, I assume people are showing off, you know, new software and things like that, but what are some of the, some of the issues in the community, some of the topics that are discussed, some of the, I guess, points of conflict or what, what's the, okay. I mean, is it just so, a party or are people discussing things or give us a feel for Okay. It. So you've got multiple, if I talk about the global event, the big event yeah. and the regional events, you'll have in the global event, you might have nine streams of content. So you've got nine talks going on at any one time. And a lot of them will be pretty damn technical stuff. I mean, stuff that I don't understand. Lots of curly brackets on the screen and, you know, black screen with white type on it and all of that, you know. And they'll typically be updates on the new releases of software. So, you know, the QGIS team will give a presentation for an hour on the new features in what's in the next release of QGIS. And gotcha. that will be mobbed. You'll see three, four, five hundred people in that one session. You know, it will be in the biggest space we've got and it will be absolutely packed out. You know, there'll be a session on PostGIS, a session on GeoServer, and it will goes on all the way through. And then there'll be lots of case studies and people talking about how to performance tune this and how they've solved this problem. And then there'll be people introducing new projects and new ideas that they've got. And there's been a lot of stuff about processing remote sensed imagery and storing it and deriving intelligence from it and all of that kind of stuff. And then there'll be themes about community stuff, you know, so typically about like most communities, the open source community tends to have something of an inward facing vision. You know, sometimes they get very, very tied up looking at themselves and the way they work and how they can strengthen community and addressing issues like diversity. You know, I mean, okay. I don't want to diminish that in any regard, you know, because I think it's really important, but you know, that we do continuously work on making our community as open and welcoming as possible. And, you know, I've given talks on those sorts of topics myself at these conferences. Let me let me ask one question there. I'm more familiar with the OpenStreetMap world, and I know a big topic in the community at the last state of the map, which is the OpenStreetMap conference, or, but also in general, is this the dynamic between individual contributors and companies and corporate members and what they call organized mapping, paid mapping, you know, how does this play out in the in the FOSS side of things? Is there such a similar tension kind of exist or no? Or there is a tension. There is a tension, but it's not it's not, in my opinion, anything like the level of tension that there is in the OpenStreetMap community. And there's a big difference between these two communities, in my opinion. Very large proportion of the contributions to OpenStreetMap come from individual mappers. They're not corporate mappers. There are corporate mappers making substantial contributions, but the majority are coming from the individual mappers. And there's always been this, this view that we make the map 
because we want to make the map and because we believe it's important to make a map and to make an open map without a regard for actually who's using it. Whereas I think in the open source community, or certainly the OSGEO community that I'm a member of, the vast majority of the contributions to the software are made by corporate contributors. They may be very small companies of one or two people, but they are people who earn their living from contributing code and working with the software that they've developed, consulting with it, supporting clients with it. And, and so the role of business is much more integral to Phosphor G than it is to state of the map. Not just, and I'm not just thinking in terms of the people who sponsor the conference. I'm thinking about their role in the community. We wouldn't have open source software on the scale that we have it today, in my opinion, if we were dependent on hobbyist contributors. Yeah. Well, not, not just individuals, Ed, but I mean, if, you, if you're an individual and you spend all of your working time contributing, writing code, because people are sponsoring to write you to write code, you're effectively a professional contributor, aren't you? Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. I mean, well, yeah. this is this is one of the big challenges. Is like you know that I see is that many people wear multiple hats. In some cases, like at, literally in the same day, but in some cases, just over time. You know, maybe you got into OpenStreetMap as a hobbyist, mm -hmm. then you liked it, and as a result, you found a job where you could use OpenStreetMap in your job. Or you know, are you then? Mm. You know, are you are you an individual? Are you are you? Is this professional paid map? It's gray area, in my opinion. I think many people. One of my frustrations with the OSM community is that there are some people who like to see things in black and white, and uh, I don't think it's possible. I think, I think things are a bit more gray than that, and and I think we all play different roles at different times. So indeed, and also I think you need to look at the way that companies use the data is a good thing, not a bad thing. You know, I mean, we want, the, we want OpenStreetMap to be widely used. You know, that means businesses like OpenCage or Mapbox or whoever using that data is a good thing. But somehow there is a, there is a negative attitude, or it seems to me there's a negative attitude towards business involvement. And certainly... Yeah. Yeah, I, I know, on the contribution side. Well, one one frustration I have there is like definitely there are people who have a negative attitude, but is it they believe they represent the community? I'm not sure they do. <laughs> I think it's a very small but mo vocal minority. But you know, this is a subject that we can talk about endlessly because yeah. anyway, let's let's come back to phosphor G. So, what are some of the issues in the community that uh, that are being debated or discussed? Or we certainly hit a problem when we decided to host the conference in Dar es Salaam um, in 2018 because we chose Dar es Salaam because it was a major city in Africa. It had an active community. We wanted to contribute to growing the use of uh, open geospatial software in Africa. Yeah, we had all these great reasons why we wanted to host a big conference in Africa. Mm -hmm. What we didn't, weren't aware of, and you can call it naivety, you can call it something much worse than that, we weren't aware of the issues in 
Tanzania with regard to LGBTQ issues. I mean, you know, homosexuality is illegal and the laws are enforced. We only realized this when we were too far down the line in organizing the conference to make a change. And there was quite a lot of anxiety about this from members of our community, and justifiably so. The problem that you're faced with is there are... I think over 70 countries in the world that have pretty draconian laws regarding homosexuality. And are we going to say that means we won't take the conference to those 70 countries? I don't, I don't think it does, and I don't, but I don't know what the answer is. I do know that since that time, we've been much more careful when we're selecting cities that will host future events to ask more questions about this. Um, so, you know, It's a learning experience in that regard. I mean, another issue which constantly comes up in running these conferences is ticket prices. And the economics of running a conference are a bit bizarre because if you run a conference for two to three hundred people, there are lots of venues that you can find particularly university venues, as an example, where somebody can gift the venue to you and you have very, very low expenses in hosting the conference. When you go up to 500 or up to 1,000, you are forced to choose large conference venues. You know, the opportunities, you know, there aren't many places that have got a room that can a space that can accommodate 800 or a thousand people for a keynote yeah Um, and once you start going to those venues the economies of scale work against you and you actually find you're paying more per delegate than you would be if you only had 200 delegates in a small venue so you know it's challenging because it costs i don't know five six hundred dollars to attend a three-day conference with some social events around the edge of it, which is quite a lot of money if you're attending as an individual. And the community wrestle with that challenge, and it's an ongoing discussion. At the moment, the way we're solving it is we're solving it by having a travel grant program, which I've been involved in promoting and running for the last three years. And for example, in Dar es Salaam, I think we had 120 people attending the conference because of the travel grant, which was pretty phenomenal. Right. Congratulations, first of all. Yeah, Yeah. that's difficult because I I guess the solution is some kind of tiered pricing, obviously, where, you know, those who those who can pay more, but but then of course you get into the question of fairness of, you know, why should person A pay more and person B pay less? And yeah, it's difficult. I mean, you know, with Geomob, the only reason we're able to have Geomob is because we have venues that are donated to us. Um, so in London, we're often at Geovation or, or here in Barcelona, we have co-working space that very generously makes our space available. And if you, it's difficult anytime you, any, if you had to charge money or something, or either you need to find more sponsors, so then that puts a different flavor on the event or has the potential to, or you need to charge the individual, which then inherently restricts the access. It's uh, it's a challenge. You know, there's no clear right answer. And it's unfortunate because based on my interaction with you, I have every confidence you're trying to do this for the best of intentions, right? And, yeah. and you're just trying to have a great event where, the, where people can share the knowledge and share their... It's a tough one. It's a tough one when people start it's criticizing. And 
And so it's all and organized by volunteers or, or? It's all organized by volunteers. I mean, typically for the global conferences, you know, where you've got a thousand delegates, the organizing committee will retain a professional conference organizer to do a lot of the, the nuts and bolt work and maybe the registration system and various other things for them. You, I mean, it would be really difficult to organize a conference for 1,200 delegates just using a team of 15-odd volunteers. Sure. You need a small professional input as well. But, I mean, pretty much the whole thing is organized by volunteers. And, um, you know, and it's a, system, it's a system that's worked. You know, we're now talking about where have been, I think, Phosphagy started in about 2007 or something like that. You know, you know, we're talking about 12, 14 years of Phosphagy global events. You know, there have been hundreds of regional and local events all talking and sharing open source software. It's pretty remarkable. And at the same time, you get to to socialize with people who you might only see in the real world once every couple of years because so much of our interaction is done through mailing lists and IRC channels and conference calls and all of that shit you know and actually there is nothing that compares with actually sitting down over a cup of coffee or in the evening over a glass of beer maybe with some people that you know intimately well in the digital world, but you only get to catch up with face-to-face -face every year or every two years. It's great. You know, I mean, I love it. Well, that, you've exactly summarized the premise of Geomop is that we bring people yeah. together face to face and over a drink and they can uh, exchange ideas and things like that. So, so yeah, so you mentioned this year, this year, Phosphorgy Europe is in Latvia in July. So maybe, yep. maybe as that draws closer, we can do kind of a preview podcast or things like that. Yeah, I, maybe we could even think about doing, I, I don't know whether you're going to get to Latvia in July. I'll certainly be there, but maybe we could try and organize a Geomob podcast from Phosphagy in Latvia. I'm all for it. Uh, I'm all for it. I don't, I don't know if I'll make it. But, but uh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Anything to close out? Any final messages for the listeners about uh, Phosphagy? Any, what's, the, what's the big takeaway? It's a great event and they should attend? It's a great event. You should attend. You'll learn. You'll probably find yourself teaching. The workshops are just amazing. You know, I mean, you will definitely learn stuff in the workshops. You'll You'll meet new people, you'll find new business opportunities, and you'll have a great time. I can't think of a better way to spend three or four days. All right. On that note, thanks very much, Stephen, for, for A, for, for being involved in the community and organizing what sounds like a great event, and, uh, and for sharing the details with us today. We will be back okay. in the near future with the next episode. So thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is Geomob, 
you can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.